Good morning. Well, I have been looking forward to this chance to be able to meet with you. What a wonderful congregation you are, and uh, I have known your former pastor for uh, all the years that my wife and I have been up here. Uh, Rich got into one of my first discipleship groups with one of the other CTK pastors, and uh, John Shaw from the school Shawzy, some of the kids know him. Uh, uh, we had a group together for a number of years, but, and I visited here before, too. I, I don't remember what for, but I, I have been been here on a Sunday before. I, I don't I don't remember the Sunday, but I'm delighted to be with you today. Um, I my dad was a pastor, and so I grew up in a pastor's home. Uh, and then I graduated from college, and I, I went on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ for 14 years. And after that, during that time, I, I got a master's degree in biblical studies and, and put my name in the hat to become a pastor of a little church in Camarillo, California, where I served for 32 years. And we retired in 2015, moved up here because my son-in-law, my, my daughter, Chrissy, and my son-in-law, Mike, were up here with three grandsons. So it seemed like a logical thing to come up here. And so we moved up, to, up this direction. Um, and they're helping with the slides up there because I keep forgetting to use them. So you know, maybe I'll. <clears throat> but uh, we we have just so much enjoyed Ferndale and being a part of this community and uh, watching God at work in this area. Um, what I want to share with you this morning is a message that I've titled "Making Disciples Like Jesus," and it's something that I discovered in the 25th year of ministry in Camarillo, and it's probably the thing that gets me up in the morning every morning. It's the thing that shines a light on the path to tell me which way to go. This message that I want to share with you this morning, I can say without, uh, with without any doubt, is the most important message my life. This is what God has so impacted me with, and so I want to share it with you this morning, and I'll give you the whole story as we go through. But before we do, would you bow your heads with me for just a quick brief prayer? Father God, thank you for the privilege of being your family. Thank you for the privilege of being able to come here this morning and to be able to worship as we have, to enjoy each other, and to enjoy you. Now I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts in this time. Father, anything that I would say, they can quickly forget, but what you say is what we want to remember, so we listen for your spirit to speak to us today, and we pray in your son's name. Amen. If you haven't met my wife, she's on the front row up here, Jackie. Uh, 56 years, 56 years, uh, and... That's for her. She is a very patient lady. <laughs> she has put up with me all of this time, and I am so grateful for, for that. Um, June 4, 1974, a phone call came into our home. We were living in Stone Mountain, Georgia at the time. The phone call was from my sister Eileen, telling me that my father had passed away. He was my mentor. He was my model. He was a pastor. I looked up to him. But he had passed away. My brother, who was living in Southern California, flew uh, down to Miami, where we lived at the t uh, where my mom and dad lived at the time. I flew down from Atlanta. Uh, my two sisters were also there, and my mom and all of us led that memorial service for my dad in the church where we had grown up, the church that he had pastored for so many years. 
After the funeral was over, we went back to the house, and Mom told all the kids, said, uh, if you see anything around that you like and you remind you of Dad, you're welcome to take it. And I don't remember what my brother Ray took or my older sister Eileen took or my younger sister Mary took, but I got his ring. Now, this is not his wedding ring. This is his, the ring they gave him when he graduated from seminary. And on the face of that ring, and you probably can't read it on the screen there, but it's Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came and told his disciples, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And teach these new disciples to obey all that I have commanded you and be sure of this. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. That's New Living Translation, if it's just a little different from the way you remembered it. But uh, I memorized it that way. I kind of like the New Living Translation. It's easier for uh, a guy like me to understand, I think. <laughs> anyway, um, that was an important verse to him and has become a more and more meaningful verse to me. Um, if I ask a hundred pastors in the United States what's Jesus, what was Jesus' last command, they would probably identify Matthew 28. It's a great commission. That's what we call it. They could probably quote it to you. Um, if I ask them a second question, I said, can you name Jesus' disciples? They'd name six, eight, ten, maybe all of them. I don't know. But then the final question, can you name your disciples? There would probably be an awkward silence. There certainly was for me in the first 25 years of ministry in Southern California, Camarillo Community Church. Um, I had, a, I had a, a, a young man who joined our congregation. He was a recent graduate of Oklahoma, uh, University of Oklahoma, an engineering graduate. He was working out at the air base. He was a, he, he was a, a rocket scientist, you know, a smart kid. And he, he was at a work day. I was up on a, a ladder trimming some bushes. He was down at the foot of the ladder, and he looked up at me and said, Pastor, would you disciple me? And I didn't know how to answer it. How do you make a disciple like Jesus did? That I would be a pastor of a church that Jesus Christ is the head of, and I say I am a follower of Jesus Christ, but I don't know how to make disciples. I, I preached every Sunday. I preached. <laughs> I, I, for years I preached. Ah. And if I said, okay, I'm sure some of these people that I've preached to have grown spiritually, that would certainly be true. Many had come to Christ, but was I making disciples? Knowing the command is different from obeying the command. Um, I said I was on Campus Crusade staff, and after that we left Crusade staff, and we went to Camarillo to pastor the little church in beautiful Camarillo, California. It's right between Thousand Oaks, Ventura, Santa Barbara, right along the coast, beautiful, seven miles in from the, <clears throat> from the ocean. Uh, beautiful area. Uh, every day is like the day outside today. Every day is like the day outside today. And if you don't think that can get boring, it does. I love it up here. I opened the curtains to see if it snowed yet. You know what I mean? Up there, never. And, and, and no rain. 
No rain. I mean, sometimes you'll go six, eight months without a drop of rain. And they, they, they asked me, how, how do you like it up there with all that rain? I said, man, this is an answer to prayer. What are you talking about? I love it, you know? We get rain. Well, I, I began the ministry at Camarillo Community Church with my wife and my two children, and um, <clears throat> it was a small congregation, probably not much, probably about the same size, I guess, as this group here this morning. And uh, they were meeting in the rented facility of another church that doubled as a fellowship hall and a gymnasium. And we set up our chairs every morning, and we set up everything, and we, we had our services there. And um, <clears throat> my intention was to build a church. That's what I felt God had called me to do. And so we began to do evangelism. I knew a lot about evangelism because I'd been on Campus Crusade staff. Remember the four spiritual laws? We had to memorize that booklet. I, <clears throat> I knew how to use that, and I taught the people how. And I taught them how to uh, get their neighbors to come to church so that we could preach evangelistic messages and see them come to Christ. And they did. And they did, and the church began to grow, and it wasn't long before we had, we got to build our own building. And I remember the first Sunday we moved into that new building, we'd been so long putting it all together and raising the money and then actually hammering the nails ourselves and, put, and building this new building. And we moved in, and the second Sunday in the new building, we had to go to two services to handle the people. We were seeing people come to Christ. We eventually started a third service, and then a fourth service. It was killing us. It was killing us, you know? So we knew we were going to have to build again. So we started another building program, and we built, we built this structure. Thousand-seat auditorium, places for offices and nurseries and all kinds of stuff. We took the old building and gave it to our... Uh, give, I mean, it's on the property. <laughs> we, we let our youth have that one. That was for the youth ministries and a, and a little Vietnamese congregation that had started worshiping with us as well, and, and they met there, and the church continued to grow. Uh, until it stopped. At, at a point, we, we reached a little over a 1,000 people, and it stopped growing, and it started shrinking. And we thought, what, what, what's this all about? What's wrong? Well, we began to pray. I began to look at myself. You know, there's a sin in my life. What's wrong here? This isn't supposed to be happening. It's supposed to continue to grow, but it did not continue to grow. And I look back at it now, and I think, you know, God was trying to get our attention. This is not unlike what happens in churches in America today. As a matter of fact, the, the statistics are not very encouraging. We close 4,500 churches in America every year. We are not keeping up. We are losing ground in America. Uh, it's a sad state of affairs. We knew we needed to figure this out. What's happening here? What should we be doing that we're not doing? We took a survey because a lot of the churches in those days were taking surveys uh, to determine whether, whether you could do things better. Uh, some of you know the church Crystal Cathedral. Uh, Robert Shuler's church out in Southern California is built on the same model ours was because we called it the attraction ministry. You, you do a big show on Sunday morning. You get people to come. You want to make it better in Southern California. You've got to make it better than Disneyland and everything else that's down there to get people to come on Sunday morning. But you, you do the big show. They come. You preach evangelistic messages. They come to Christ, and then you send them back out to bring more people in. And that's what we were doing. That's what Shuler was doing as well until 2010 when they went bankrupt because they could not afford to put on the show any longer. Um, we did the survey 
and the people of our congregation told us they liked our buildings. They liked our youth program. They liked our, our children's programming. They liked the music. Some of them even liked the preacher, but, you know, which was encouraging. But they, the thing that we were not doing well was making disciples. They were not growing people on the, in the team that we'd asked. If they look back on their lives one year, two years, three, they couldn't see any difference. There was no significant growth taking place in their lives. And, and we knew that. They knew that, but we didn't know what to do about it. Other churches around the country did the same thing. They used these kinds of surveys, and they found the same results. Big churches, small churches, north, south, east, west, inner city, urban, all of them saying the same thing. We don't do discipleship well in, Ameri in the American church. Um, well, we, we tried to increase our small group ministry. We tried to help our women's ministry. We did all kinds of things to try to help. George Barna, a Christian pollster, uh, George Gallup together, they determined that 65% uh, of Americans who identified themselves as evangelical born-again Christians are sure that something more is available in the Christian life that they're not yet experiencing. If we're supposed to be the salt of the earth and 65% of Christians, what kind of a soup would you have with 65% salt? It would make a difference, don't you think? And yet, the impact we're having on the moral climate in America is not very good. It's not very strong. Cal Thomas, Christian syndicated columnist, said, the church needs to examine the quality of his discipleship. He said, the problem with our culture isn't the abortionists, it's not the pornographers, the drug dealers, the criminals, it's the undisciplined, undiscipled, disobedient, and biblically ignorant Christians. Such that the number of divorces inside the church is only 1% better than divorce outside the church. Instead of keeping up or increasing churches and increasing attendance, we're, we're shrinking. But that's not the way, way it is everywhere. That's the interesting thing. You know, in, in certain co countries in South America, the church is, is growing rapidly. It's happening in Asia. It's happening in China. Africa is probably going to be the most Christian continent very shortly now. People are coming to Christ so rapidly. This is, this is a picture of a baptism. Uh, I, I, I meet with... I meet with pastors, and I'll tell you more about that later, but I meet with pastors every week from places around the world. Zoom. I zoom with them, and these, these are Congolese. Uh, these are Congo pastors, and they had a baptism, and they had to dig up this trench outside the church, put some plastic in it, and put water in it. They're baptizing four to five. They have baptized 166 people two weeks ago. I mean, they're coming to Christ so fast, most pastors over there who have no formal biblical training at all, they become the pastor because they're the first person in the village to become a Christian, right? So they become the pastor of the church. And some of them are pastoring four, five churches at a time. They call them bishops now. My wife picked up that term and said, why do you call them bishops? Because they don't do just one church, they do bunches of churches. Uh, it's an amazing thing. Islam in America grew 67% in the last 10 years. Mormonism by 45%. Christianity declined. George Barna says the church in America has reached the point of irreversible decline. We know how to build big churches in America. I mean, you see the mega churches. We had one. You know, the big building, all the bells and whistles. Uh, this 
And we built it on the, on the attraction model. We, we did something every, every Christmas. It was, it's kind of like Christmas Cathedral. We kind of got it from them. You do this big Christmas thing, and everybody comes from all over to see the Christmas story. It was beautiful. Music and dancing and all the kinds of stuff, and it was wonderful. And people would come by the thousands, literally. I remember one time we had Nick Vujicic. I don't know whether you know that name or not. Nick, he's life without limbs. He's this evangelist in Southern California. He doesn't have any arms and legs. He's amazing. He was only down the street from us. We had him come in for Christmas with St. Nick. <laughs> and Nick gave an evangelist. He's a powerful evangelist. He gave an evangelist. We had 300 decisions for Christ that Christmas. Um, Christmas later, we weren't sure how many of them were still around. I thought our job was to build the church, but I think I mistranslated the Great Commission. I, I, I think I thought that Jesus said, go into all the world and build churches, when he said, go into all the world and make disciples. And we were not making disciples. We were not making disciples. We had a giant nursery full of baby Christians who grew to a certain point and plateaued and stopped growing. And then we didn't know how to make it to change that. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, I will build my church. Matthew 20, 18, he said, you're to make disciples. An American NFL franchise is not unlike many American churches, you know. You build a big, beautiful stadium. You have a great show on the field on Sunday morning. People come, spend their money, and your success. And that's the way we've been building the church in America. The difference between what's happening in Asia and South American countries and Africa, they don't know how to build the church. They can't afford to build the churches. All they do is disciple each other. They just get together in little groups and they disciple each other and they grow. And they reach out to their neighbors and friends and they're growing. They don't have the distractions we have in this country. They don't have the Disney. Jesus becomes very central in their lives. Um, Jesus stood on the side of a mountain and he preached and he turned five loaves and fish into bread. He fed everybody fish and chips on Sunday morning when they'd be fun, you know. 5,000 people. And then he turned around after he was done and walked away with 12 men. Now, I don't know how well you know the preachers <laughs> like me in this country. That, yeah, if I had 5,000 people coming to a mountain to hear me preach, first I'd take an offering, and then I'd start a building program. That's what you do. That's what we've been trained to do. That's what we've seen modeled. That's success. We don't know much about disciple making. So I began to pray, God, help us figure this thing out. I was on a plane coming home from somewhere. I was reading Leadership Journal, which is a periodical for pastors. And, uh, and they were talking about disciple. And John Ortberg, maybe you know the name, was, uh, had an article on discipleship. And he, he talked about two men uh, um, that w had written some stuff about discipleship. And one of them was named Greg Ogden. And I'd never heard the name, but he was in Southern California. And so I thought, I need to hear from this guy. I Googled him when I got off of the plane. Uh, he came up with this book, Transforming... No, the other one. First one. 
go back one transforming discipleship okay and it sounded good transforming discipleship I got a copy of it I started reading it sounded good like it might really work I got three more copies I gave a copy to Daryl my evangelism pastor a copy to Jim my small group pastor a copy to Bev my personal administrative assistant I said read this we're going to get together next week and talk about it and see if it's something we can do we got together and we decided okay we're going to do this thing just like the book says to do it he, he's uh, or um, Ogden talks about discipleship in gender-specific quads, and I'll let you figure out why. <laughs> it's, it, but it works good. It works really well. Gender-specific groups of four. So we said, okay, I'll get four. Jim, you get four. Gerald, you get four. Bev, you get four. We'll try this. We'll do it. We won't tell anybody that we're starting something new. We're just going to get these people. We'll start. We'll see if it works. Uh, we bought the other book. Uh, that's Discipleship Essentials, which is basically... basically uh, Bible College 101, you know, it's just, it's the basics of the Christian faith, and they're all in there, 25 sessions in there, takes about a year to go through, because you got to memorize the verse, you got to do your homework, you come together for an hour and a half every week, and you share together what God is teaching you from your study. We've got about four or five weeks into my group, and guy, the guys were saying to me, you know, this is a highlight of my week, Pastor. I enjoy this more than anything else I do. And I thought Sunday morning ought to be the highlight, but no, this, this the group was. And then I found out the other groups were saying, the other three groups were saying the same kind of thing. Their lives began to change in this environment, in this situation we had just kind of created these gender-specific quads going through God's word. What you have to do is everybody has to study the word themselves, do their homework, they come back to the group, and they're going to share with, we're going to share with each other what God taught us during the week through study of his word. The discipline of Bible study, the discipline of prayer, the discipline of coming together in that kind of fellowship, all of these disciplines, Christian disciplines that we ought to have been doing all along anyway, were intensified. And all of a sudden, we began to see the growth and the excitement in our lives go up. And it was amazing. It was amazing. One of the things that you do when you, when you get in a group like this, you, you sign a covenant. It says, I'll do my homework. I'll study, you know, I'll do all the things. I'll show up for the group. I'll make it a priority in my life. I'll let God begin to do transformative work in me. And when I get done, I'll go find three more guys and do it again. I will become a disciple maker. You see, it's not just becoming a disciple. We've done a lot of things to make disciples, to make people more like Jesus. Except we left out the last command. What was his last command? Go and make disciples. We haven't taught him to do that. This is not about making disciples. It's about making disciple makers. Wow. Not only was I going to be a disciple maker as the pastor, but these guys were going to be disciple makers. And after the first year, my three guys all went out and found three more guys, started their groups, and our group of four became 16. And so did Daryl's, and so did Jim's, and so did Bev's. The next year, they doubled again. You can see where this is going. You, you, I'm not a mathematical mind, but this, you, know, you get this multiplication thing going, and it just gets out of hand. We couldn't even, we couldn't even count the groups. I had one guy call me, and he says, I want to, I'm starting a new group, and I want to invite a guy that's, that works with me into my group, but he didn't go to our church. Is that okay? I said, what church he's got? Well, he goes to Good Shepherd Lutheran. Well, those are good folks. Sure, let him in, let him in. What I didn't expect was a phone call I got from Jim Johnson, the pastor of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church, who says, you got one of my key guys in one of your groups. 
would you come to our church and teach us how to do those groups? Wow. That was the first of six other churches that began to use the same material and do the same thing. We had a missionary came home from Romania. She had started a, a, a mission to children that were abandoned by the Ceausescu reign. You might know something about that in Romania. When, he, when they killed him and his wife and the, all these de- orphans, that, he, had, he had encouraged his people to have as many children as they can, more communists, put them in orphanages that were run by the state, and they would educate them. They would take care of them. And they did that. And all of a sudden, he's gone, and all these orphans are there with almost uh, just terrible, despicable situation. Well, this gal goes over, she's going to adopt an orphan. She sees this mess, and she says, I'm going to, uh, God's calling me, I'm going to start a ministry here. And she bought some land, built a camp. We, as a church, helped support it. We sent people there in the summertime to help her run these camps. She came back to Camarillo to say thank you. She showed up at my quad. I, I'm, we're meeting in Panera Bread, and she walks in. She's going to say thank you for what we're doing. Everything. One of the guys says, hey, you need to do this there. Do what? You need to do this discipleship stuff in Romania. She sat down, and before she left, we had a three-pronged strategy. We're going to get this stuff translated into Romanian. We're going to send you back with an armload of stuff. You're going you're to vet some pastors, and if you can find some pastors that are interested in learning how to do this, uh, bring them back to the United States. We're going to train them and send them back to Romania and see if it'll work over there. My administrative assistant, Bev, had the first group. Uh, she called Ivy Press, who publishes this stuff, and, and they said, it's already been translated into Romanian. And all of a sudden, we realized this wasn't our plan. This was God's plan. We're just, ca- we're just catching up. We, you know, he had already gotten it translated into Romanian. Okay, it gave us a name. We call the publishing house. It was a group of Bible smugglers under communism that now, after communism, had become a printing, printing company, a publishing company. We said, why'd you publish this? Well, we saw it in a magazine. We don't have anything like that. We, we translated. Anybody using it? No. Not yet. Okay, here we come. You know, we sent her back. We got copies of it, sent her back. She passed them out to pastors. Eleven pastors in Romania, she said, are interested. And we, had, we told her, if you get the right guys, you vet them because we don't want them coming for Disneyland. We want them to learn discipleship, okay? Uh, but if you find some, let us know. We will pay their, we'll buy their tickets, bring them here, we'll train them. We'll get Dr. Ogden to come down. He was only up in Monterey. We'll get him to come down and help us train these guys. And sure enough, 11 pastors from Romania came to Camarillo. They ate in our homes. They slept in our beds. They, you know, we took them to church every morning at 8 o'clock until late in the afternoon, and we trained them. And then at night, we took them to our quads and let them see the quads at work. And after 10 days with us, we sent them back to Romania. A year and a half later, we start getting phone calls from them. You've got to come to Romania. You've got to come help us teach more pastors. More churches will learn how to do this. So I said to the congregation, who wants to go? <laughs> 13 hands went up. Okay, we'll form a group. We'll go over there. We'll show them what we're doing. Now, the interesting thing is that when a a seminary professor like Dr. Ogden or a pastor like me says these things, people listen, but, you know. But when 86-year-old widow Jane Bacon stands up to these pastors, she's all about yay high, and she says, if I can do it, you can do it. She was leading her group, and she would tell them. She told them about her discipleship. How she all of her life she'd been a believer, but never made a disciple. And now she's making disciples. So excited about making disciples. 
So we take this them over to Romania. We do training over there. On the plane ride on the way home, one of my guys says to me, comes walks up the aisle of the airplane, says, "What do we do next, Pastor?" <laughs> I said, "I don't know what we're doing now. <laughs> you know, we're just you know, God opens an opportunity, we try to go through. You know, we don't know what. But before we landed the plane, we said, okay, here's what we'll do. When we get home, we'll we'll have we'll plan a global summit for discipleship." And we'll invite everybody, every pastor and missionary we can, from our church, that, that we, anybody that we know in other countries, we'll invite them to come and we'll train them all. And our church was a very ethnically diverse church, which is a lot of Southern California churches are. We did a Great Commission Sunday and had 21 different languages being, reading scripture from our stage. It was amazing. And then we had, we had them sing Amazing Grace in their own language, you know, all at the same time. <laughs> it was really fun. <laughs> Only God could understand, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but we, 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 we said to them, if you know somebody back in wherever you came from uh, that you think would be interested in learning this discipleship, give us their name. We'll invite them to come. So they gave us names. And we invited 85 people to come. 53 were able to get visas. And we had our first global discipleship summit. Now, the interesting thing was, in both of these times, when we invited the Romanians and then when we invited this bigger group to come, I said to the congregation for the first one, I said, this is going to cost $45,000. It's not budgeted. You've got to help me here, <laughs> and I'm in trouble. You know, we said we'd pay their way, and, and you know, here they come. Uh, two weeks, $45,000 were given. And the people who gave the money were the people in the discipleship groups in our church who knew how important this was, and they were committed to it. The second one, it's going to cost $85,000. Two weeks, $85,000. They didn't stop at eighty-five. They gave $112,000, and we spent every dime <laughs> bringing these people over from all parts of the world. Now, that was in 2015, and I retired two months later. And Greg Ogden and I, who wrote this stuff, formed an organization called Global Discipleship Initiative. And all we do is try to help churches figure out how to do disciple making. The thing that's different about this and why it works is because it's all about relationships. It's not about scholarship. It's about a relationship. And it's not time-driven or calendar-driven. It's transformation-driven. You, you, you get in a group with three other people, and if some of, you, if some of the group, they're new believers, it takes longer. You don't push it. You wait till everybody has got it, and then you move on. So Daryl's group with Van, brand, he was our evangelism pastor. He had all brand new believers in his group. Man, that was a slow group, you know, because <laughs> they, they had so much to learn. They had so much to go. It was so, so far to go. But they did. They got there, and they multiplied. Um, my group, I had two elders and a would-be elder, and going to become an elder, and so my group multiplied fast, and they, 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 they just kept going. In fact, these two guys, these guys are still going. Two of them are on my board <laughs> for GDI. Uh, what does all this mean? I think we've, we forgot the relational component that Jesus had with his 12. He spent 24-7 for three and a half years with these guys. He didn't try to, uh, to, to disciple the thousands. He started small. Uh, after three and a half years, his group of 12 had grown to 11. <laughs> And all of those deserted him, you know. Uh, but the Holy Spirit came in and you know, filled them all and said, turned them around and they got going again. And, uh, and they were here today because of what they did. But what we've forgotten, and I'm not sure where we lost it, 
what we've forgotten this relational component and I love that the men are going to be getting together I love that you're 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 what are the eating groups what you call that the breaking bread group that, that's great because the relationships are so critical for our growth fruit ripens in clusters we got a cluster we have to get together and we have to learn how to be open transparent and honest with each other and it's amazing when four men get together like that and after two or three weeks they start talking about the hard stuff all of a sudden you're some guy's handing his computer his laptop to his buddy in the group saying keep this uh, this is not good for me I'm having trouble with pornography and I don't I, I don't need this in my life and life start to change when you start putting stuff out in the open sin doesn't like light <laughs> you put sin out in the light it scatters you know my wife always says, you know, all, the best deterrent to sin is an audience, <laughs> you know. But you don't want people. So when you start getting honest with each other, pray for one another that you may be healed, James tells us. We can be healed of our brokenness. We're all broken. We've all got our stuff. You know, we can be healed when we get in those kinds of situations where we can be honest and we can share and we can pray for each other and things change. You know, and people say, well, I, I don't think I can be a disciple maker. I don't know enough. Eh, we know that's not a good excuse. <laughs> the Holy Spirit lives in you just like he lives in me. If he can do it through me, he can do it. If he can do it through Jane Bacon, he can do it through anybody, right? Uh, no, it's not that you're too old or too young or you're not smart enough. You can't memorize. You can't study. You know, all of those excuses go out the window because the Holy Spirit, when we make ourselves available to him, begins to work in powerful, powerful ways. Um, if there's anything we learned from COVID is that you don't even have to go to another country to go into all the world. <laughs> I can sit in front of my, and I, yesterday morning I had six Congolese pastors with me for an hour and a half. On Wednesday mornings I have pastors from Kenya. Uh, I have, I, I discipled a, uh, a, church, a church planter class in Myanmar for a year. Myanmar. Uh, I was in Zambia uh, a little less than a year ago and teaching pastors and there. I do travel some, but I don't have to. I can do a lot of this just zooming around. We, we're in a culture that we're in a time when you can go into the, all the world without ever leaving your home. And Jesus, I think, saw this coming. He knew this would happen. My prayer for you as a congregation and as a as fellow Christians, part of the family of God, is that you just say, God, I'm available. I will do whatever you want to do in and through my life. If you want me to be a disciple maker, help me figure out how to become one of those. I want to have an impact for your kingdom. I want to have an impact on Ferndale, our community. I want to have an impact on our state and our country, but on the world as well. This is what Jesus intended this is why the father sent him from heaven and this is why he trained those guys so that we can go into all the world and make disciples would you pray with me please father god thank you that you love us enough to allow us to be a part with you in this incredible adventure of making disciples just like jesus did making disciples who will leave us and go out and make other disciples. Father, what an incredible 
plan that you had, that you gave to your son, that he came to implement, and that he passed on to those guys that he discipled. Father, help us to make ourselves so available to you. You can change us. You can fix us. You can heal us. You can equip us to go into all the world and make disciples like Jesus commanded us to do 2,000 years ago. Father, I pray for this congregation here at CTK Ferndale. Lord, that you would continue to draw them together in unity and love, sharing with each other, praying for each other, committed to each other, and then as a church moving out into this community and finding those who need to know you, helping them come to know you, and then sharing life with them in such a way that they become disciples and they become disciple makers. Father, what a, what a joy and a privilege that you give us in your family to partner with you in your eternal redemptive plan of rescuing those whom Satan has trapped, those who Satan has dominated for years, who can be set free, who can be released, who can come to know you and know eternity in your family. Father, thank you for all these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.